Would you please bow with me in prayer? I'll open up with prayer. Heavenly Father Yahweh, we thank you for bringing us together here to study your word, to praise you, Father. Um, As we look into the purpose of your Holy Spirit, Father, and how it should work in our lives, we pray that uh, we'll learn truths about this and and understand how important it is that we uh, let your spirit move in us, Father, and and guide us through life. Um, We're always grateful for the sacrifice of your son, and we come to you and ask these things in Yahshua's name. So we say hallelujah. Amen. You all may be seated. I've been told this clicker is going to work. All right, looks like it's working. Yeah. Today, let me look at the times, 2.40. Okay. Today I want to talk about something that you do every single day over and over again, most of the time without realizing it. Um, It's something that is important to your survival. In fact, without your ability to do this, you probably would have inadvertently killed yourself by now. So what is this? You, you excess risk. Uh, maybe it starts with your alarm clock going off in the morning. You think, should I hit the snooze button? What if I'm late to work? What if I'm too tired and that extra 15 minutes, and that extra 15 minutes will give me the rest that I need? Uh, maybe it starts with uh, getting up and going to the restroom. Uh, should I go to the restroom now, or should I go turn the coffee maker on? Uh, if you're in a house with a bunch of other people, you might think, what if the bathroom's occupied when I get back? You know, so these are, these are I'll admit, low-risk scenarios. But you go through scenarios like this over and over again, and you know how to handle them. Every day, um, there are some scenarios that arise where you have to weigh the options and make a decision based on those risks, and what risks are you willing to accept? And you do this so often, again, you probably don't even realize you're doing it. At work, sometimes I uh, have projects that I work on and I have to evaluate the risks. Um, Usually the risks have to do with not getting the project done in time or cutting things out of the project so that we can finish it. Um, And I have to let my leadership know about those risks. And I don't want to leave anything out, so I'm going to show you a tool, one of many tools that I use to kind of um, get my thoughts together. And this is a risk assessment tool. Risk assessment. That's what we're talking about today. Um, Anytime uh, you evaluate a risk, you do this in in your head. And so, um, you know, what what I do, and this tool is kind of categorized, it's a matrix for those who don't have the the slides, it's a matrix. And if you go from bottom to to, to top, it's it's how you you put risks on here and you estimate um, what is the severity or impact of this risk. Um, is it a neg- negligible impact? Maybe it has no, imp- no impact at all, and so you don't really worry about it. Is it a ca- catastrophic impact? And then from left to right, um, what is the probability or likelihood that um, you'll see the effects of this risk? Is it unlikely? Is it possible? Is it certain? You know, and as the certainty goes up, as the risks get more catastrophic, those are the ones you really need to worry about. And, um, you know, I don't want to lose you, so let's, let's try this out on a real-life scenario. Let's pretend there's a guy named, we'll say, Linton. A guy named Linton who's getting ready to ride his bike to work, and he wants to double-check that he's considered all the risks, starting with the big one. What's the biggest risk that Linton's thinking of? It's the risk of getting hit by a car. But he's done this ride probably 100 times. He's never had an issue. Um, it is possible... Uh, maybe a little more unlikely. Uh, he knows the route very well. Uh, the severity could be catastrophic if you get hit by a car. I mean, you could end up in the hospital. Uh, you could just get sideswiped and be knocked into a ditch. So, you know, it, it kind of goes up high on the list, maybe between marginal or catastrophic. But um, Linton would probably put it there based on his uh, experience with this bike ride. Um, then his thoughts go to the weather. Uh, he's already checked. So he knows it's going to be mostly cloudy today with a 10% chance of drizzle. Um, so he thinks, oh, what if I get pull, pulled into to a tornado? Now, that, this is a risk that is very, very unlikely to happen. In fact, um, it's so unlikely that really we shouldn't even worry about it. So I'm actually going to take it off the board. And, you know, there are risks like that that are so unlikely to happen, we don't even, we don't even think about them. We just go about our day. Um, so let's actually change that. Since there is a chance of rain, um, what is the risk that Linton will get wet on his, on his way to work? 
Um, it's, it's unlikely since it's only a 10% chance of rain, um, but it's an easy one for him to deal with uh, because he actually packs clothes in a backpack as he takes them to work. And I, I'm kind of making this up as I go, I know. But, you know, in, in your own situation, you have the backstory that Linton has here as he's deciding how this works out. Um, he starts thinking about his tires. Um, it's been a while since he's changed the inner tubes in his tires, so, you know, another risk is that he'll get a flat tire on the way to work. Um, but that's okay, because he carries a spare with him. He's got a little, little, uh, a little zipper pouch under his seat where he throws his spares in there, and, you know, if he... Bike tire goes flat, it is possible, but it's kind of a uh, negligible impact or severity because if it happens, he has uh, something he can do about it, right? He can can change his tire. Um, Then he remembers uh, there's a big hill that he always has to climb when he goes to work, and he knows he's probably going to show up to the office all sweaty. Um, So this is definitely certain. But again, is it... Is it catastrophic if he shows up to work sweaty? We've already established he's got a change of clothes in his backpack, so maybe he's got this routine that he goes through where, you know, he bikes to work and then he changes, right? So he can go to work and not be covered in sweat. Maybe his, maybe his office even has showers there. So whether you're personally riding your bike to school or maybe you're letting your child drive your car for the first time or deciding even bigger if you're going to move to a different state, you're weighing the risks of each of these decisions. And your risk assessment of those situations is going to be different than someone else going through that same exercise. Uh, Usually you pull on past experience. Or you ask a professional, like Linton did when he checked the weather, you ask a professional, if this was um, the first time Linton had ever ridden or he didn't check the weather, he might be wrong about some of these. He might, his evaluation might be a little off. Um, he could underestimate the probability of something happen, happening. Like maybe he looks out his window, he sees the sun, and he's like, I'm not going to get rained on, but he doesn't know that there's a storm rolling in, right? And sometimes the best you can do is go with your gut feeling when you're trying to figure out how likely it is for something to happen or how big the impact's going to be. Um, often we think about the short term and then later get surprised about something that happens down the road based on some decision we made. And this happens a lot when you're, you're assessing the risks. People only think about short-term risks or um, the benefits that they're going to get out of something short-term without realizing that something bigger is going to happen as a result of that. So uh, today, I'd like to kind of use this framework to review some of the practical risks to quenching Yahweh's spirit. And so before we get to the risks, I guess I have to talk about what it means to quench the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. Uh, This Greek word is used usually in reference to extinguishing a fire, like in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Five foolish virgins said to the five wise virgins, hey, can we have some oil for our lamps? Uh, Because ours are going out. In other words, our fires are about to be extinguished. Can you help us out? Or in Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about taking the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. It's the same Greek word that's used in all three of these examples. So the Holy Spirit here is symbolized as a fire. And it seems like we are able to influence the, influence the intensity of this fire. Acts 2 even describes the Holy Spirit as, as appearing like tongues of fire and resting on the people that were gathered for Pentecost. So let me um, talk about the context of this. Now, I don't have this on the slide, but I'm going to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, and just go through a couple verses for the context. And we urge you, brethren, Paul says, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in Yahweh and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of Yahweh and the Messiah Yahshua for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. So that's where that appears. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So it should be obvious from this passage that quenching the spirit or putting out that symbolic flame is something we shouldn't do. And then all these other things that are listed are are ways that we are not quenching the spirit. Otherwise, Paul would not have listed, listed them there. So we've got this concept of quenching the spirit. Again, spirit being represented by a fire. Um, we also have this concept of grieving the spirit. And this one, I, I feel like, has um, um, a little more context to it. And so we can dive into this a little bit more. In Ephesians 4, uh, again, the key verse here is verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Yahweh in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But again, um, I'm going to read through selected verses of Ephesians 4. I'll even jump into Ephesians 5. I'm going to start with Ephesians 4.17 so you can get the context. So I tell you this and insist on it in Yahweh that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of Yahweh because they have ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Having lost all sense of shame, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with a craving for more. But this is not the way you came to know the Messiah. Surely you've heard of him and were taught in him in keeping with the truth that is in Yahshua to put off your former way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created to be like Elohim, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing good with his own hands, that they must have something to share with the one in need. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. And then here in verse 30, I've made it to verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Yahweh in whom you have sealed for the day of redemption. This Greek word, and I'm going to pause here, this Greek word for grieve basically means to distress or cause emotional pain to the Holy Spirit. And it's a way for Paul to represent the Spirit in a way that our human minds can understand. Um, In fact, as I continue reading, I'm going to switch to the next slide, which kind of summarizes these passages that that I'm reading through. And these are points that I want to make about how to grieve the Spirit. I'm going to continue in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and tenderhearted to each other, forgiving, forgiving each other, just as in the Messiah, Yahweh forgave you. And then jumping to chapter 5, I'm going to go down to verse 3. Uh, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, no no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and Elohim. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of Yahweh comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. So here's a summary of the things we've just read about. So what are some of the ways that we can quench or extinguish the spirit? Here it's talking about grieving the spirit. What are some ways we can cause grief or sorrow to the spirit? Um, Lying like the pagans, uh, uh, living like the pagans, sorry, living like the pagans, lying, holding on to anger, stealing, cursing, being bitter, being unforgiving. And then if you jump into chapter 5, you read about being sexually immoral. And all of these things are things that grieve the spirit. Allowing sinful behaviors like these to take hold of our life, or even negative attitudes such as pride or bitterness to take hold of our hearts. These are things that grieve the spirit. Or if I were to summarize all of this, it's sinful behavior. King David even recognized this problem um, of his sin 
you know, the problem that his sin caused when he asked Yahweh not to take his Holy Spirit away from him. He does that in Psalm 51. I don't have it on the slide, but I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. He says, this is after he committed adultery, by the way, with Bathsheba. And then he went on to murder her husband. Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a clean heart, O Yahweh, and renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So I've talked about quenching the spirit. I've talked about grieving the spirit. Um, And if you do not take action on those things, I believe it can lead to what Yahshua describes as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, now we're getting serious. Uh, Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And the context for this is that Yahshua had just cast a demon out of a child, and the Pharisees were there watching this, and they accused him of doing that using demonic powers instead of Yahweh's power, or Yahweh's Holy Spirit working through Yahshua. And my personal belief is that this condemnation comes or stems from having an understanding of the faith and then having a complete and deliberate rejection of the Holy Spirit. But today my focus is more on how we grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit and the practical risks of doing this. I might have to ask someone to get me a cup of water because I can feel my mouth is getting real dry, guys and ladies. All right. Uh, For the past around six months, our our Bible study group here at YRM has been going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Most of the book is attributed to King Solomon, and he has a lot to say about wisdom while at the same time gracing us with his wisdom. Um, Going into it, I knew that there would be Proverbs I was familiar with, and they'd kind of be sprinkled throughout the chapters. But what surprised me is how in the early parts of the book of Proverbs, Solomon gives his son practical advice on why it's important to search for wisdom. Do you want a healthy home life? Seek wisdom. Uh, Do you want to lose your house and your wife and tear your family apart? Well, ignore wisdom and be a fool. Thank you, Lucas. Oh, it's even got ice. Nice. Solomon tells us in Proverbs what wisdom is. For example, he says it's the fear of Yahweh. And he even personifies it. He takes an intangible concept like wisdom and represents wisdom as a woman. Then Solomon could contrast wisdom to the foreign woman for his son. You know, Some translations will say strange woman there. And it was a way of describing um, an adulterous woman or a prostitute. Uh, or a woman who was foreign to your family unit, to your bed, to your house, or even foreign in a more general sense to the nation of Israel. And if you read through, this, the, what I have on the slide is just an example of the personification. It's, it's not super important to this message, but it's just an example of how Solomon personified wo- wisdom as a woman, uh, calling aloud outside, raising her voice in the squares. But If you read through Proverbs chapters 5 through 7, you'll see that Solomon warned his sons about the dangers of chasing the strange woman. And what I found fascinating, he didn't didn't just say to his son, you know, you shouldn't do this because it's against the Torah and because it's a sin. Instead, he gave practical uh, examples of how it would affect his life. He said, you do this, you're going to lose everything you have. Your wealth is going to go to a stranger. You're going to spiral out of control until you're doing all kinds of evil, and ultimately that's going to lead you to death. And Solomon makes it clear that it's the fool who chases after that strange woman. But he also makes it clear the fool is lazy. The fool doesn't listen to advice. The fool is proud, elevating himself above others. And if you haven't noticed, um, there's a pattern that develops for this fool. They chase after the works of the flesh, things that bring them immediate pleasure without considering those long-term consequences. And I'm going to try to make that theme of foolishness versus wisdom resonate with you as we look into what it means to quench the spirit. Um, and just like wisdom is personified as a woman here in Proverbs, um, that could keep you from wrecking your life if you go after her instead of the strange woman, 
I believe in similar ways the Holy Spirit, you know, again, an intangible concept, something we can't touch, um, something we can't see, um, that Holy Spirit is personified in some of Yahshua's teachings and some of Paul's teachings. Um, we've already read about how, what, you know, what it means to grieve the Spirit, and it was almost like human emotions were put into it. It's like something you, you can cause sorrow and grief. Again, that's something that we understand as humans. Um, Yahshua told his disciples in John 14 that the Spirit would teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that Yahshua had said. Again, teach them all things, like a, like a teacher you would have in a classroom, or bring to remembrance these things. And I'm even sure, I'm pretty sure the evangels utilized Yahweh's spirit as they were writing down Yahshua's teachings for us. I mean, maybe they were making notebooks as they go, but I can, I can only imagine that once Yahshua left and they went back to actually write everything down and fill out the details, Yahweh's spirit was moving there to bring to remembrance all these things that Yahshua had said and Yahshua had done so that we can benefit from that today. I believe that the Holy Spirit is presented in a way that makes it easy for us to understand how it could impact our life um, again, we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, similar to wisdom. And though I, I feel like this is kind of a bunny trail, though, though this is not a message about the similarities between wisdom and the Holy Spirit, it's not hard to show a connection between the two. As we allow ourselves to be guided by Yahweh's Spirit, we gain deeper wisdom and insight into Yahweh's plan for our lives. And wisdom can help us see the importance of letting Yahweh's Spirit move in our lives. Paul even writes about how the Holy Spirit can provide these gifts that he calls them words of wisdom and words of understanding. And he writes that in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to write that down. But anyway, so we've got um, the wisdom and the Holy Spirit. We know from the Bible they both offer guidance. The Holy Spirit provides guidance and direction in our life. Wisdom can help us make good decisions. Uh, Wisdom can help us navigate uh, challenging situations. They both come from Yahweh, and that's, that's pretty obvious, right? Wisdom and the Holy Spirit are both considered to be gifts from Yahweh, and both can help us understand Yahweh's will for our lives. Both are necessary for spiritual growth. Without wisdom, without the Holy Spirit, it can be hard to grow spiritually and develop a, a deeper relationship with Yahweh. Both require openness and receptiveness, This was something else that impressed me about uh, our study in the book of Proverbs. Basically, we're told why to to go after wisdom, and then we're told how to. And it's basically, you have to search for wisdom. You have to be open and receptive to it. Um, We have to be willing to listen and learn, and then to follow the guidance that we're getting from wisdom or from the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, both are transformative. Uh, They both transform our lives in significant ways, helping us to be better people and live more fulfilling and meaningful lives. So as I talk about the risks of quenching the Holy Spirit, you might see me throw um, some related verses from Proverbs down in the bottom of the slides that, um, you know, reference wisdom or reference foolishness. And now I think I'm ready to present the uh, first risk. The first risk of quenching the Spirit is misunderstanding Yahweh's will for your life. In Proverbs 19, uh, there's a proverb in verse 21 that says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, Yahweh's counsel, that will stand. So we make plans. We believe things are going great for us. And then a few years later, we look back and we think, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Or, Or you might be going through something really difficult right now and not realize that Yahweh's using it to help you grow. Maybe he's preparing you for an important work later in life. Um, And when we don't let him guide us, it can seem like in this present moment, everything is falling apart. When you look around, and I've been thinking about this message for a few years now, and it's kind of like, kind of morphed over the years, but like I would say two to three years, but... Um, when you look around, do you ever ask yourself if everyone's going crazy? Because I've been doing that a lot lately. Um, and, and I wonder, are they really going crazy, or am I just noticing it more, you know, the same level of craziness? If I'm just noticing it more because I'm getting older and I'm more in touch with it, um, you know, what, what's at the root of this, and why do I feel like things are getting crazier? Um, you know, Solomon, back in Ecclesiastes, he tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Things that are happening today have happened already and will happen again. 
he, he kind of talks about a cycle. And, you know, when I examine the history of Israel, when we go back and look at Israel, we can, we can see patterns where they would turn their back to Yahweh, and then they return, and then they turn their back to Yahweh, and then re- return. But every time they turn away from Yahweh, there were really severe repercussions. So are we, you know, I, I'm thinking, like, are we in one of these cycles now, or are we just getting close to the end of the age? I want to throw um, a collage up here. Um, I, you know, it's so easy to find images of what you might consider craziness here, but um, some of these images are from the recent earthquake in Turkey that just happened a little over a month ago. Um, there's also a, uh, a train wreck. This is the second one in Ohio in the last about a month, right? And this one, I think they said, didn't have any um, hazardous chemicals or toxins coming out of it like the first one did. Um, you've got an image of um, guys kneeling there. The, these, these were um, suppo- supposedly looters that were going around looting after the, the earthquake in, in Turkey, and they were just going around stealing stuff, and they caught them up and rounded them up. I don't know what's going to happen to them. But, um, and then you've got images of, like, working conditions. Like, I think this is, you know, on the bottom right is an image of a cobalt mine. And so, you know, all around the world, there's stuff like this happening, and sometimes we have visibility into it, sometimes we don't. Um, you know, and, and there's examples, so many examples you could find of, of natural disasters and so many examples of man-made disasters. And where I was actually going to go with this slide is showing examples of people fighting over stuff. Like um, in 2020, there was a, a video circulating about women fighting over toilet paper in the grocery store. You know, and and recently, too, I heard there were fights breaking out in Costco over eggs, you know, and how serious was it? Was it just an argument? You know, I don't know. But you've got that that mindset. And and so, you know, do you feel like the craziness is ramping up? You know, whether it's these personal interactions between people or the natural disasters or man-made disasters, especially in 10 years, maybe what what about the last three years Uh, today? Oh, it's March. It's March 11th. Um, about three years ago, in 2020, that's when the U.S. had its first report of what they call a COVID, a, a co- coronavirus death, you know. And, um, and I think this was the, the day three years ago when the Italian prime minister said, okay, Italy is going on lockdown. And now we can look back and reflect on what happened after that. I mean, all, you know, there were several nations that followed suit, and there were lockdowns. And, um, you know, depending on who you ask... Most people agree that um, wasn't the best. Best, or there were there were unintended side effects of those lockdowns, right? But um, you know, you may look around and you may agree that um, the world's getting crazy out there. And again, one explanation is that we're getting near to the end of the age because it was prophesied that stuff like this was going to happen. In Matthew twelve twelve or twenty four twelve, it says, the, "Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold." But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this word um, abound, I think this is New King James. A lot of these references were coming from New King James, and I should have labeled them. But um, this word abound in modern translations, I think they use the word multiplied. Because that's what that word means. It's, it, it means that it's going to increase by a lot. So lawlessness will be increased by a lot. And then if you want a little more context, you could go back earlier in this chapter and find out, you know, Yahshua sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives saying, and, the, and, and I guess it was a private meeting. It says he was sitting with them privately. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he's describing a time to come, a time to come for us anyway. Um, and then if you go to verse 9, I know this is verse 12, but in verse 9, um, it says, well, actually, I've got verse 10 on here, so I'm going to just go straight to verse 10. But in verse 9, it says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And it's that, it's that, uh, it's that, that verse that kind of just resonates with me. It's like I, I feel like I see this out there in the world. People just getting offended over the littlest things and betraying and hating, hating one another. Verse 11, many prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But again, he who endures to the end will be saved. From the book of Proverbs, we see that uh, 
Solomon wrote in Proverbs 12, 15 and 16, the way of the fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And I think that's basically what we've got here being described in verse 10 is a bunch of fools who just get offended and, and hate everyone and are just willing to betray forms of hatred. People don't want to understand each other. They think everyone else out there is stupid. They just don't care. They're apathetic about their relationships with most people and especially apathetic with, about their relationship to Yahweh. Paul describes the end times in a letter to Timothy and comments on the human condition at that time. Uh, just like the fools that Solomon describes, there's a focus on these desires that have an immediate gratification, but then a horrible payoff later. So in 2 Timothy 3, um, I'm just going to read through this. And I think, you know, there's so many, there's, I, I, I put a, a summary on this slide there were so many points made here by Paul that I had to put it into two columns. Otherwise, the font would be really small. But this is in um, 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to start in verse 1. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers, lovers of Yahweh, having a form of righteousness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And as I was going through, I was counting on my fingers, but I ran out of fingers, so I had to start counting on my toes. Um, again, there's some wisdom here from Solomon. He says in Proverbs 16.32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. And that's the big problem I see. People lack self-control today. Hmm. During one of the cycles I was describing in Israel's history, uh, where they had turned their back on Yahweh, Micah was lamenting because it had gotten bad enough that even family members were turning on each other. In Micah uh, chapter 7, verse 6, I don't have a slide for this. Micah 7, 6, it says, For son dishonors father, daughter rises up against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But then he follows it up in verse 7. He says, But as for me, I will look to Yahweh. I will wait for the Elohim of my salvation, and my Elohim will hear me. He understood the importance of having patience, similar to how Yahshua told his disciples that he who endures to the end will be saved. Some translations even use the word persevere. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that preserves, or perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that Yahweh has promised to them that love him. So how do you persevere? Well, being principled is a good start. It's going to help so that when the stress gets too much, uh, you can fall back on those principles and keep going through, you know, keep persevering that way. Um, but our physical preparedness is only going to get us so far. Then we have to rely on a higher power. And so I'm going to introduce the second risk of quenching the spirit. It's the inability to adapt and persevere in distress. Solomon says in Proverbs 24, 16, For though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Paul is a great example of a person who was able to adapt and persevere in distress. He was imprisoned multiple times. He was beaten multiple times. Uh, he was stoned and left for dead. Uh, he was shipwrecked. He was attacked verbally several times, probably too many times to count. So he had um, both physical distress and mental and emotional distress from having to deal with people. And you can, you can read about this in Acts. You can read all about it. Um, 
But he wrote, um, he kind of summarized and kind of hinted at it in one of his letters to the assembly at Corinth, and this is in 2 Corinthians. He talks about how much stress he was under and how he could not have made it on his own. Um, the key verse I pointed out here is 2 Corinthians 1, 6, but I'm going to start in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the Elohim and Father of our Master, Yahshua the Messiah, the Father of mercies and the Elohim of all comfort. This kind of makes me think back to when Yahshua said he was going to send the Spirit as a comforter. Um, verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted with by Yahweh. For as the sufferings of Messiah abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through the Messiah. And here's verse 6. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Um, it's, the wording's a little weird here, and so it's hard to understand. For me, it was first reading through. But I think what Paul had figured out is that these trials that he was going through, first of all, were helping him learn endurance, and that the comfort that Yahweh was providing him as he was going through those trials could then um, be used to teach and to encourage others as they're going through the same thing he's going through and helping them find comfort. And that's, that's how I interpret verse 6 here. Um, even Paul, though, I mean, he felt like giving up some days. He even said that he despaired even of life in verse 6, the same chapter. He says, um, we don't want you to be ignorant. Trouble came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. In my mind, that meant there were days when he just wanted it to all end because he was under so much duress. And he probably went through a lot more than any of us have, right? Uh, and if you have a life that rivals Paul's and, you know, that physical and mental torment, then my heart goes out to you because um, I, don't, I don't know if I could even, even relate to this. I'm encouraged by what Paul's saying here, but I don't even know if I could relate. But even if you haven't gone through all this stuff that Paul has, distress can come in many forms. It, it could be physical illness, financial difficulties. It could be problems with relationships. You know, you can't control other people, right? But you can control how you react to other people. Um, it can be overwhelming. It can make us feel like we're drowning, maybe even shipwrecked like Paul, right? Drowning. But distress um, is not permanent, and we can get through it with the help of Yahweh's Spirit. Um, having a supportive community, by the way, also helps. Um, in verse 11, Paul mentions how the prayers from all of the brethren helped him get through this. Paul has a lot to say about the tension that exists between our physical desires and our spirit. In Galatians 5, I mean, you probably all thought, oh, at some point he's got to go to Galatians 5, right? He contrasts what he calls the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. It's probably a passage you know well. So the flesh represents our earthly desires and our tendency towards sin, while the Spirit represents the guidance and direction of Yahweh's Spirit in our lives. And this conflict and tension can be seen as a battle for control over our thoughts, over our emotions, over our actions. Um, Elder Randy recently did a sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. I imagine there's probably nine of them out there, if I'm not mistaken. Nine, nine sermons where he went into each of the fruits. Um, and in preparation for this sermon, what I tried to do is think of these in terms of how they affect our relationship with others. Same thing for the works of the flesh. Um, in fact, I would say, I'm going to put a list on the screen, but I would say that every one of these um, affects, directly affects our relationship with others. And again, um, I know the font is really small for the works of the flesh, but that list was really long, and I wanted to fit everything onto one slide. But as I read through these, uh, as I read through Galatians 5, try to imagine how these behaviors can affect our relationships. Uh, it could be relationships here in the faith, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, with people at work. Galatians 5, and I'm going to start in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. 
But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, and these are listed here, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, uh, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that these who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. This is very similar to the list we read before, too. And maybe, maybe that's what Paul's making reference, reference here to. He said, I told you beforehand, you know, I told you this in the past. But in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are in the Messiahs have impaled the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We've already talked about perseverance. We just did that, um, which is different than the word I see translated here as long-suffering, um, some translations will say that's patience, long-suffering and patience. Um, but it does have a, a similar meaning. And I remember, I don't see, oh, Lucas is back there with his baby. Both of his babies, his, his wife and his, his <laughs> literal baby. But, um, but no, last week he, he, was, he went into prayer and he was, he was helping us understand the difference between, I think it was persistence and perseverance. Um, we've already heard about perseverance and the importance of perseverance. Here we've, we, we learn about patience. And I'm just going to read through the, the, this list again with brief, um, brief commentary. And, the, and, and some of the stuff I'm going to say is, is other ways that translation, the translation, uh, modern translations might translate these. Um, it's also, if you go into the definition of the word, um, what, what like Strong's would have here. So like love um, is basically goodwill or esteem that you hold for others, basically putting others above yourself. Joy. Uh, is that gladness, and, and I think this is the type of joy that is not um, dependent on external circumstances, things happening around you. This is a joy that you, you have regardless of what's happening around you. Um, that peace, you know, quietness and calm, uh, some would say a peace of mind, um, you know, and, and I think there's a root here, that the root word for this Greek word is something that means wholeness, like a feeling like nothing is missing, Right? And then you get to long-suffering, which is, again, patience or endurance or that ability to endure difficult circumstances without losing, losing hope or losing your faith. And so this is very closely related to perseverance, but it is a different word used here. Kindness and goodness, um, from what I can tell, they're very closely related. Kindness, um, it talks about your excellence in character and showing mercy and compassion to others, where I think goodness is more of a, in a, in a broader sense than kindness and focuses on like your moral excellence, like um, how moral is your character versus kindness, which is something you would, you would show or exhibit to others. Um, faithfulness. Um, what's interesting about this one, I, I didn't realize that it's the same word that appears for faith, you know, in terms of like your belief. But I think in this context, what Paul meant is your trustworthiness or your ability to follow through on things that you've promised, you know. But it is the same word that's used in other passages, um, to represent your faith or your belief. Gentleness, uh, again, that's meekness, uh, mildness, uh, humility. I've seen meekness in other translations. I think uh, commentators would say that's like your humility. Um, rather than being harsh and abrasive, like all of those uh, works of the flesh over there. And then ultimately, and then finally, self-control, which is that restraint or your ability to resist temptation and, and your ability to be disciplined. Um, you know, I don't know if I've got this in my notes, but um, one of the things I noticed is some of these works of the flesh actually require more than one person, you know, like adultery and um, I don't know. But, you know, it, I hope, hopefully as we're reading through this, you were thinking, um, you know, there's often it doesn't just impact you. It impacts people around you, all of these things. And so our I think this is our third risk of quenching the spirit is being self-centered at the expense of those around you, those people that you want to have a relationship with. Wisdom from Solomon, he says in Proverbs 28, 25, um, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, 
but he who trusts in Yahweh will be prospered. Relying on the works of the flesh can be risky because it leads to that self-centered, self-reliant lifestyle that's focused on worldly pleasures and desires. And this, this can result in behaviors that arise from our sinful nature, such as envy, anger, jealousy, selfishness. Uh, when we rely on these, uh, we become disconnected from that guidance and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which then can lead us down a path of destruction and ultimately spiritual death. Furthermore, relying on these uh, works of the flesh can lead, and here let me go back, I mean, we're talking about works of the flesh, relying on these works of the flesh can lead to a false sense of security and even self-righteousness. I mean, it's dangerous because it, it could give you a sense of complacency and a lack of urgency to pursue a relationship with Yahweh. By the way, um, I'll leave this slide up. Recognizing this connection between the physical and spiritual realm and, and recognizing it as a battle, it kind of underscores the significance of caring for your bodies. And um, I'd intended to get into this earlier. I just um, didn't have time to put it in. But um, what's an example of that? An example is like getting enough sleep. You know, seven, over seven hours is what they recommend for an adult. Uh, staying hydrated, eating healthy foods, because I think every one of us is experienced with how much harder it is to exhibit these fruits, love, joy, patience, kindness. Um, it's hard to exhibit these fruits when you're drowsy and when you're irritable, when you have a headache um, because you haven't been taking care of yourself. But, you know, if you put work into your physical health and wellness, that's just one less distraction that you have to worry about as you're trying to grow spiritually. As I start to wrap this up... Ooh, I'm going for a little while. As I start to wrap this up, I'd like to go back to Ephesians 4. This is the chapter that we looked at earlier where Paul warns us not to grieve the Spirit. Um, then he follows it up with something that I think is really, really important. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. Uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Yahweh by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Yahweh, for Messiah's sake, forgave you. A characteristic of wisdom and maturity is to be slow to anger and overlook offenses. Um, I had a proverb uh, put up on the screen earlier that talked about that. A wise, wise person overlooks offenses. Forgiveness is not always easy, but it is necessary. We may feel hurt or wronged by others, but holding on to unforgiveness only harms ourselves in the long run. Uh, the bitterness just grows. We might even develop a victim complex where we feel constantly victimized by others, and that can lead to us feeling powerless and, and not being able to take responsibility for our own actions. And then we feel so, we might even get to the point where we feel sorry for ourselves, where we to the point where we cannot, we cannot even um, experience that type of joy in our lives that Yahweh intends us to experience. Uh, choosing to forgive can lead to healing and ultimately that freedom to experience the joy. So I'm going to throw another risk up here, and this is, this is the last one I have. Risk of quenching the spirit, being un, unwilling to forgive others and move on. Maybe this is the proverb I was thinking about. This is um, from Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. And that's from Proverbs 19.11. We've identified four risks of quenching the spirit, and I'd like to summarize for those for you now. We're going to go back to our risk assessment tool the first one we talked about was um, misunderstanding Yahweh's will for your life. Second one was the inability to adapt and persevere in distress. And I, I, I thought these were very practical. Like, I thought these were things that could really affect our day-to-day -day life and our relationship with others. It doesn't even have to be your relationship with others. It could be the way you react to things that are happening around you. Um, the third one is being self-centered 
at the expense of those around you. And then finally, being unwilling to forgive others and move on. I'll leave it up to you to decide the impact of these risks and how, how they'll affect your life if you choose to quench the spirit or grieve the spirit. How likely is it that sin in your life is um, going to keep you from being able to persevere in distress, to deal with day-to-day stress, right? Um, how, how much impact would you think these would have on your lives? How, what is the likelihood or probability that you think this would happen to you if you grieve the spirit? My purpose today was to get you thinking about how sin in your life leaves you at risk and how it can actually affect your day-to-day life. I think there are a lot of people out there that don't realize the Bible gives us a template for tapping into Yahweh's power and that that power can then guide us through situations that are really hard for us to navigate without it. Um, We've talked about what it means to quench or extinguish the fire of Yahweh's spirit that is supposed to be burning inside of us, whether it's by uh, sinning against Yahweh you know, by ignoring the commandments or sinning against others, by causing strife or maybe being self-centered, or even, even sinning against yourself. Not taking these risks seriously could have a negative impact on your relationships with others and your ability to manage stress and hardship. There's a time coming when we, and I mean those listening to my voice, you know, will not be as comfortable as we are now. So we should welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives now so that we can continue to grow spiritually and be strengthened for the challenges that are ahead of us. So I'll leave you with one final scripture, and this is a message of hope from Paul to the Romans. He says in Romans fifteen thirteen, May the Elohim of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you all for giving me your attention. I hope Yahweh blesses you. I don't have a Yahweh bless you slide on here like most people do, but it's okay if you want to look at the scripture, Romans fifteen thirteen, and meditate on it a little bit more. Um, but I'll ask uh, our moderator, Jose, to come back up. Yahweh bless you.